So I want, I, I want to do something with you. All right. And this is where I'm going to ask you to trust me as a pastor. All right. I'm going to ask you to put yourself out on the line a little bit and do something that maybe you've never done in church before. Okay. Now, for some of you, this is something that you have thought about doing at church for a long time. And you've been like, I would love to do this at church. All right. So I'm going to ask you just to trust me and do something with me here. All right. Uh, the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stick your tongue out at me. All right. Okay. Uh, let's try this. Okay. You ready? One, two, three. All right. There's a few of you over here that didn't stick your tongue out. You're ruining the game. You got to participate in this with me today. I want you to think about your tongue because today we are going to be talking about our tongue. And when I say talking about our tongue, I want us to understand we're going to be talking about our mouths. We're going to be talking about the words that come out of our mouth that originate from our tongues. So this is where we're going to be at today. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to the book of James. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back somewhere. They'll come and bring one of these Bibles to you. Just slip your hand up and we'll bring a Bible to you. Uh, we've been studying the book of James for the past month or so. And we've re- to, to recap, we've said that, that James is teaching us that our faith is not just something that we believe. It's not just something we ascribe and say, hey, I vote for Jesus, so I'm on Jesus' side. Our faith is something that is worth living. And James has been dealing with a number of, of topics with us. He talked about how we handle trials and how we deal with temptation. And James taught through that. Uh, James talked about uh, partiality and how favoritism and how when we uh, have favorites and we have partiality, we actually are going against the royal law that, that Jesus has given us, that we're to love our Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we're supposed to, here's the royal law, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so he said we need to get rid of any partiality or any favoritism so we can love people the way that God does. And last week, last week, James talked to us that we are saved by faith alone. But when we're actually saved, our faith doesn't remain alone. There becomes actions that are uh, part of the proof, part part of the the validation of our faith. And there's a way that we live in response to what God has done in our heart. And so today, James is going to take this opportunity to to begin teaching about our tongue. He's going to talk about the way that we talk. And this is really a pretty important topic for us to discuss, for James to discuss. Because scientists believe that we spend about one-fifth of our life talking. Like, that's just what scientists believe in. And maybe you heard there was, a, there was some research done years ago. Uh, and maybe you heard this, that women speak 20,000 words a day. And men speak 7,000 words a day. There's a 13,000 word difference between men and women. And let me just tell you, like men, if you've been hanging on to that, saying, listen to that, honey. That research has actually been found to be false. They did some updated research, and they said that men and women, on average, speak around 16,000 words a day. Women are actually just a little bit above 16,000. Men are just a little bit below 16,000. But we spend a lot of time of our lives talking. Like, like, like one-fifth of our life we spent talking. And if we understand that James is talking about having a faith that is worth living— <laughs> You really find that humorous, don't you? It's true. We spend one-fifth of our life talking. And if we, if we spend that much of our life talking, you would imagine that James has got to deal with this important issue, that we spend this much of our time doing this. And so, and so we're going to learn something from, from James. We're going to learn that, that this is what faith looks like. 
Okay, and he's going to talk about the tongue. And what James is going to teach us is going to teach us that our tongue cannot be controlled. Our, our, our mouth, our words, they cannot be tamed. But the good news is they can be redeemed. So before we jump into James chapter 3, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer for, for God's blessing in our time together. God, just uh, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace on us. Thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together uh, Lord, with your church. God, we know the church is not just a building. Uh, we're thankful for the building we're in, but the church is not a building. The church is a people. So God, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be, to be gathered with your people today. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to hear your word. God, that you help us to understand we're not here to listen to a pastor give opinions about the best way to live. But God, we're here for your word to actually speak to us. And God, you know what it is we need to hear today. So God, I pray that you would help us to put the distractions out of our mind and just to lean in. That, God, you would speak to every one of us. That you would draw us closer to you. God, that's what we want to have experienced today. We want to come into your presence. We want you to speak to us and draw us where we can know you more. And that we can make you known. So, God, just pray and plead for your, your, your presence with us now, Jesus. In your holy and precious name. Amen. And as James begins in chapter 3 to start talking about our tongue and our words, he's going to start talking about first to teachers, which is an important thing. And here's... Here's what James says about teachers. Verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So here was an issue in James's day, as well as probably still an issue in our day, is there were people who, who looked at a teaching role, looked in a leadership role, and they became enamored. They wanted to, they wanted to have that kind of recognition. And so for whatever reason, people would want to be teachers, maybe so they could be on stage, so they could have a, a following, so that people would look at them and say, hey, you're awesome, you're great. They were looking for some sort of recognition. Some people desire to be teachers because they viewed it as, as, hey, I'm really mature if I can stand up and be a teacher. Like that would prove like how great and how religious I really am. And so they would say, like, like, like if I was a teacher or a leader, like that would prove that I'm, I'm varsity Christian. And anybody else who's not a leader, who's not a teacher, they're like JV. And I don't want to be JV anymore. I want to move up into the varsity. And so there's all these selfish reasons that people want to move into leadership. They want to move to become a teacher. And, and, and this, is where, this is where James becomes very serious. And this actually puts a fear in my own heart as a pastor. Because he says, Now many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It makes me think of the line from the Spider-Man movie when Uncle Ben looks at Spider-Man and he says, Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. And this is very true. In fact, I know that there are some in this room. There are some in this room who you've been hurt because of past church experiences. There is incredible uh, wounds, there is incredible hurt, there is incredible abuse that has occurred at the hands of church leaders. And listen, even though James is talking about teachers, this is a principle that's actually going to apply for, for leaders in general, leaders of the church in general. And this is what I need you to know. And I need you to understand, if you're one of those people that have been wounded by the church in the past, listen, God knows. God knows the pain that you've gone through. God knows the hurts and the hurdles. And God, listen, God will hold that person accountable. 
Because we can look at the church and we can say, man, it seems like this, this, this leader, it seems like they got away with it. Like they've been doing these, these bad things and hurting people and they've left a, a path of destruction behind them. It seems like they're getting away with it. They're, like there's no justice done. But listen, God is the one who judge. God is the one who will judge them. And God will hold them accountable. And there will come a day that as a, as a, as a teacher, as a pastor, that we will stand before God and give an account And that is going to be a fearful day for some teachers and leaders in the church. Because they are judged with a greater strictness. Because this is is what happens. When you are a teacher, like you have influence over people. Teachers teach and people learn. And so if if a teacher, if a teacher, if they get off a little bit, then the people are going to get off a little bit. And this is the way, this is the way it works in, in parenting as well. If the parents are off just a little bit, guess what? Their kids are going to be off just a little bit. And God understands the, the, the high calling, the high role of being a teacher, of being a leader. And God is going to hold those teachers and leaders accountable for, for, for the words that they speak, for the way that they lead. And this is kind of a sobering thought. For us to stand before God and be held to a stricter standard because of the influence that God has given us amongst his people. So not only does James warn against becoming a teacher because you're going to be held accountable for that. But James is going to warn against becoming a teacher because of this issue that we all are going to struggle with. And that's our tongue. That's how our words sometimes are hard to control. And as a teacher, as a leader, you use a lot of words. You have a lot of opportunity to speak in behalf of God, to speak into people's lives. And there's going to be an issue with that because our words are so hard to control. In fact, here's, here's what James says in verse 2. He says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. You know, I have to admit, I'm encouraged by that verse. Because James says, we stumble in many ways. And I'm thankful because that is a good reminder for me. Because when I want to uh, show people, hey, look how far I've come. Look how good I am. Look, I don't have to put on that facade. James, who's the brother of Jesus, who's the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, he just said, we, all of us, myself included, we stumble in many ways. Like, you don't, have to, you don't have to have it all together. James knows, I know, the Bible says we all stumble in many ways. We have our struggles, we have our hang-ups, we have our issues we are working through. But he's talking about a very specific area in which we stumble, in which we struggle. And that's with our tongues. In fact, he says, if you are able to bridle your tongue, if you're able to control your tongue, that you, you are able to, to bridle and control your whole body. And what he's trying to get this idea is, is he's speaking about the, the power that our tongue holds. Like our tongue has so much power, it can, it can give the direction for where our, our, our life and our body is going. I want to be clear that, that James is not saying that if you learn to control your tongue, that all of our struggles fall away and we don't have any other temptations before us. Rather, what James is going to teach is that uh, when, we, uh, when, our, when we're talking about our tongue and we're dealing with our tongue, it's going to take us to the epicenter of the problem. When we, when we deal with our tongue, it's dealing with the, with the root issue, which is our heart. And we'll get to that 
a little bit later, but James wants us to understand the, the, the power that our tongue holds. And so he gives us a couple of illustrations. James gives us a couple of illustrations to understand the type of power that our tongue holds. Here's what he says in verse 3. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Listen, I don't know if you've been around horses very much in your life. I haven't been around them too much, but I understand enough from watching race horses and from watching uh, the movie Seabiscuit. That's an old race horsing movie, but I watched it at one point. And, and I understand a little bit about what he's talking about this bit. How this bit is this little piece of, of metal. And, and, and what happens is you put that metal inside a horse's mouth and you put the reins on it. And through that little bit, you can control a horse to go this way, to go that way. You can control a horse to jump. You can control a horse to stop. And it's pretty remarkable. Because when you think about, you think about a racehorse, here you've got a guy who's no bigger than I am, who, who's skinnier than I am. Like, like these, these jockeys, they weigh like 100 pounds dripping wet, Right? And you put them on top of this horse that is 10 times their size. That is 12 times their size. And they can take those reins with that bit and control that horse to make that horse do some pretty remarkable things. Like understand the power of that little bit. And he's saying this is like our tongue. It has this kind of power to control our bodies. He gives us another illustration in verse 4. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. See, my family's had the opportunity to go on a couple of, of cruises, and these are, these are pretty remarkable experiences. If you've ever been on a cruise ship, this is like a floating city, and it's pretty remarkable. And this cruise ship we went on last uh, was called the Disney Fantasy, and this ship is 1,115 feet long. It's ginormous. This, this ship, it weighs 65,000 tons. Okay, this ship, to understand how big this ship is, it weighs 130 million pounds. Okay, this is a ginormous thing. And, and on that ship, this is, this is just fascinating to me. When you look at how that ship is designed, you've got over 1,000 feet long. Okay, there are two rudders at the back of the ship that are no longer, no, no bigger than 30 feet tall. Two rudders. And when that captain in that wheelhouse, when he turns that wheel and those rudders begin to turn, he can move this, this floating city. He can move this ship in and out of port. He can move it onto a dock within inches of where it's supposed to be. You've got this huge thing that is controlled by these two little rudders at the back of the boat. And this is, this is just fascinating for us to understand. How powerful those rudders are. And James is trying to lean in to help us understand, hey, our tongues, they carry this tremendous power to, to lead the direction of where our life is going to go. Don't miss this. But not only is James trying to help us understand how powerful our tongues are, James also is going to show us how dangerous our tongues can be as well. That's what he says in verse, verse 5. He says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Like if you understand forest fires, understand how they start. Like, like there can just be a spark that leads to thousands and thousands of acres being burned from one little spark. And this is the, the destruction that our tongue can cause. 
And, and we have these cute little poems that we like to teach our kids. We, we teach them, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will, words will never hurt me. We teach our kids things like, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Listen, whoever wrote those things was deaf. Okay? They never understood the, the, the power and the danger that words carry. Because when we understand this, these are just coping mechanisms to try and, and mask the, the, the pain and the hurt that words often cause. Words are incredibly dangerous. And somebody giving you a careless word, uh, a mean word, a mean thought, man, that can carry into your lifetime for, 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 for forever. In fact, I remember, I remember when I was in, in elementary school, my mom would cut my hair. Now, there's nothing wrong with moms cutting your hair, but my mom should not have been cutting my hair because she didn't know what she was doing. And so my mom would cut my hair. And the problem is, somehow there was this cowlick in the back of my head. And so there was always this little patch of hair that would stick up in the back of my head. All right? And I was too young, and I didn't understand. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Until I go to school, and kids start calling me alfalfa. Hey, alfalfa, if you remember that kid from the little rascals with the little hair sticking up and in love with Darla. Oh, Darla. And so for, for, for a couple years, kids would make fun of me and call me alfalfa because I had a little cowlick in the back of my hair. And listen, this was ingrained into my head. And I became so uh, self-conscious about my hair that I would literally, in the morning, I would take and put like a pound of hairspray in my hair, try to make sure that didn't pop back up. And I would take gel and I would blow dry and I would do whatever I can because I didn't want that cowlick to stick up so people wouldn't call me alfalfa. I wanted to, to deal with that because that, that, that just dumb word stuck in my head. And I began to think, like how many of us in here, how many of you, how many of you have a perception of yourself that has been dominated by somebody else's careless and harsh words. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a, a stranger who said just a very careless word to you that has affected how you think about yourself ever since then. Maybe they said you're too fat. Maybe they said your nose is too big. Your ears stick out. Maybe they said, you're never going to be as good as your dad. Maybe they said, you're just like your father. Maybe they said, why don't you get good grades like your sister? Maybe they said, why don't you excel at sports like your brother? Like these are the, 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 the words that people will say to us. And they have this kind of impact on us for years to come. Some of you are just thinking right now, you're remembering Man, I remember, I remember when that per one person said the one thing to me, and I still today struggle through it. It might have been an innocent saying, but it stuck with me all this time, and it has this impact on me years and years later. This is the, the, the danger that words carry, that we inflict pain and hardship on people that lasts for years and for decades. In fact, our words are so dangerous that James says we can actually spit fire on people. He says in verse 6 that the tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. James is saying that it is possible for us, it is possible for us for go down to, to go down to hell, to get the fire of hell. 
to come back up and set our brother and sister in Christ on fire, boiling them alive with our words. Like when we have this kind of uh, anger, these things that we spit on people, like James is saying, that's like fire from hell, that we are setting them on fire with, with the words of hell itself. And, and I read something this week about this idea. And it really should not surprise us today. It really shouldn't surprise us in our culture. The second leading cause of death amongst teenagers, amongst college students, amongst young, young adults, the second leading cause of death is suicide. And this is not suicide that's caused by chemical uh, imbalance. This is not a suicide that's caused by uh, deep depression. No, this is suicide that is caused because incessant and constant belittling and mocking and making fun of and these daggers of words that kids and young people hear today, whether that be alive or whether that be on social media. Do you understand the danger that our words carry? And how we can make some flippant comment and assume, hey, it's just a little comment. It's not really that big of a deal. But that has such an impact on people. Our words are so powerful and so dangerous. This is what the book of Proverbs says in chapter 18. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words can carry death. Our words can carry life. And here's, here's James, he's going to come to his big idea. He says in verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Like, isn't this true? Like, isn't this remarkable? Like, you can go to the circus, and you can see, we can tame anything. Like, we can teach, we can teach a tiger to sit on a chair like a human being. Like, we can tame, you can go to the circus and see it. Like, we can tame elephants to wear cute little outfits and dance around like, 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 like little ballerinas. Like, we can tame bears. Like, I saw this on YouTube this week. You can tame a bear to ride a bicycle. Like, it's the funniest thing to see a bear riding a bicycle. We can even take a killer whale. And you can go down to SeaWorld, and you can see a killer whale doing tricks for your kids. Like, we can tame all sorts of animals, all sorts of creatures in this world. But there's one thing that James is going to say we cannot tame, we cannot control. And he says in verse 8, He says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, it ought not to be so. See, James is saying, hey, we can control all these things. We can tame every sort of animal, but we cannot control our tongue. We cannot tame our, our, our words and our mouth. I mean, sure, sure, we might be able to, to fake some people. We might be able to fool some people. Like, like we, we, we're pretty good at putting on a facade. When we're in public, we can, you know, somewhat put on a facade and, and, and try and, and tame some of it. But listen, you cannot fool the people closest to you. You cannot fool the people closest to you because they hear your words all the time. And this is where you look at somebody whose life has just fallen apart. You look at somebody whose life has just gone down the toilet. And oftentimes we look and say, man, from, a, from an outsider's perspective, I didn't see this coming. Like I didn't see this person throwing their life down the tube. But listen, oftentimes they're family members. Like, yeah, we saw it. 
We heard it. We felt it. We noticed there were things amiss. We heard their words. We understood. Man, they were headed down a path that was not good. This is why, this is why that we can walk in a church. And we can raise our hands and worship and we can praise God and we can, we can give this generic religious small talk to other people around us and say, man, God bless you. Man, I'm praying for you. Like we can show up to church and, and live just like that. And then as soon as we get into our car, man, as soon as we get into our car, we begin to air every one of our grievances, but all the petty indifferences we have with people. Man, did you see what so-and-so was wearing today? They're trying to flaunt what they got. Man, did you see that person? Man, they wouldn't even talk to me. They've got some sort of issue. And we begin, this is what we do. Like we go to church and we worship God and we get in our car and we begin to complain about all the things that happened at church and all the things that the people did. Like, how can we do this? Like, how can we go and worship God at one moment and then completely um, uh, curse people the next moment? And this is what James says. This is why we do it. Verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, what he's saying is, is really, James isn't trying to deal with our tongues. James isn't talking just about our words. He's saying, those are, those are the fruit. Those are like the evidence. Those are, those are the picture in front of you, but there's something deeper behind our words. There's a source for where our words come from. And James is saying, when you're looking and you're seeing these things, you're seeing people uh, praise God in one moment and curse God in another. He's saying, hey, the issue is there's something behind those words that is controlling what happens. And this is what he's going to, this is what he's going to, to lean in. The source for our words, the source for our, our, our tongue is our heart. Not the physical organ of our heart, but the heart being our, our spiritual center of life. The heart being the control center for what we say and what we do and how we act. It's who we are. In fact, this is what, uh, this is what we can understand. Is our, our words are the over, overflow of our heart. Your words are the overflow of what's happening in your heart. I mean, here's, here's, how, here's how Jesus said it in, in Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor, again, does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Here, Jesus is kind of given this idea. He's talking about, hey, if you're a, a good tree, you're going to produce good fruit. And if you're a bad tree, you're going to produce bad fruit. He says, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bramble brush. And here's, here's where James is going to say, here's the source of those words that you and I are talking. Verse 45, he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of our heart is where our, our, our words come from. See, this isn't, James isn't talking about just our words and our tongue. And I don't know we're having this sermon and we've, you know, we're talking about words and we're talking about tongue. But listen, it's not about words and it's not about our tongues. This message is about our hearts. Because what is happening in your heart is overflowing. And it comes out in your words. Like our, our thoughts are clothed. Our thoughts are clothed and, and are visible with our words. 
Your words are, 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 are the picture, are the visible picture of what's happening inside of your heart. So your words are revealing whether or not you are experiencing God at the moment or not. Your words are, are, are the overflow of what God is doing in your life or what God is not doing in your life. And listen, this can be a tremendous blessing for us. I know you're looking and saying, well, well how does that work? How is, how is my words revealing my heart? How is that a blessing to me? Because listen, you and I, we don't have to wonder like, like what's inside of our heart. Like we don't have to wonder, like am I an angry person? Am I, am I a jealous person? Am I a critical person? Like you don't have to wonder that about your heart because your words will tell you who you are, what's happening inside of your heart. And I would just, hey, consider what your words are saying about your heart. Like look at the way that you talk to people. And just consider, consider what your words are telling you about your heart. Like if you, if you have this tendency to snap at people, to explode at, on people, listen, those words are showing you something about your heart. They're showing you that you have anger inside of you, that you've got an anger issue in your heart. And listen, we can justify it in all sorts of ways. We can say, well, well, I'm not really angry. I just didn't get enough sleep last night. And so that caused me to blow up. I'm not really angry. I just, um, I'm, I'm just stressed out. And so that caused me, listen, don't justify it. Your words aren't going to lie to you. Your words will tell you what's going on inside of your heart. Listen, some of you, some of you, your words are telling you, you've got a critical tongue. You've got a critical spirit. And I know you'd say, well, I'm not critical. This is just my spiritual gift. My spiritual gift is telling people all the ways that they screwed up and all the ways that they're wrong. Like, that's my spiritual gift. Like, who would not love that spiritual gift? Listen, how much damage can be done on the people around us by constant criticism? The book of Proverbs talking about, he says, if you've got a nagging wife, it's better for you to live alone in the desert than living in a house with a nagging wife. And I'm not picking on wives here today, but I want us to understand, like, like, like criticism. I, do you understand how much damage constant criticism can have on the people around you? See, there's, there's a difference between being a critic and being a coach. A critic is a person who says, man, I've got something to say, so I'm just going to say it. Like, I've got an opinion, so I'm just going to tell you my opinion because I want to. And because, because I want to do it. They, they want to be heard. They want to be right. And so the critic comes to you and says, hey, I want to talk to you. And immediately your thought becomes, great, what did I do now? But the difference between a critic and a coach, a coach waits until you're in a teachable moment. A coach figures out how this criticism is best received. A coach ultimately wants to be helpful for that person. Listen, I understand sometimes a harsh word from a friend is what we need. Like we need to be challenged and challenged to, to take critical steps. But listen, a critical spirit can literally crush the people around you. It can crush the people around you. Because you know what happens is that that person's always going to hear that critic. Always feel like I can't succeed. I can't measure up. I'm not good enough. Like, what is your heart telling you? What are your words telling you about your heart? Like, it, are your words telling you maybe, maybe you have a jealous heart. Maybe there's jealousy in your heart. Like, you hear somebody come and say, hey, man, I went to the Seahawks game. You're like, oh, well, where'd you sit? 
Oh, you sat on the 300 level? Man, I've never sat up there. I'm always down to like the 100 level of the Seahawks game. You know, I'm like right on the 50-yard line. Like, like when you're up there, can you even see the field from that 300 level? Like, like, like man, you should have just stayed home and watched the game on the TV. Because like you probably can't even see the field from there. Like, this is, this is what a jealous heart begins. You always want to one-up somebody else and show, hey, I'm just a little bit better than you. Or, or maybe, maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're a little passive-aggressive. Where, where you have this jealousy, where somebody comes in and is like, yeah, man, check this out. I got a new truck. And, and because you, you, you're passive-aggressive, you're like, oh, that's nice. You know, I'm more of a car person myself. Like, a car is just more practical. It gets better gas mileage. And, and I'm just trying to be a better steward of God's resources. And so you become this passive-aggressive way to belittle the person without actually saying, I don't really like you. I'm just going to be passive-aggressive with the way that I communicate towards you. Listen, what are the words that you speak saying about your heart? Like, have you ever thought about this? Like, why is sarcasm the only time we're honest with people? Like, we can be sarcastic with somebody, and we can say something very di- a dig. And they're just, I was just kidding. I was just being sarcastic. Like, what are your words saying about your heart? Listen, I want you just to have an honest conversation here. I want you to look inside of your heart. Look at your words. What are they telling you about your heart? Listen, we have this tendency to be self-deceiving. To have these blind spots that we don't understand. Maybe you need to talk to somebody around you and say, hey, Hey, what do you think my words are saying about my heart? Like when I speak, what are you hearing that you can look inside my heart and say, man, I think this is what's going on inside your heart. Because if I'm just, here's my issue. Like if I'm going to be honest before you, like what is, what are my words saying about my heart? Man, this is kind of, this is kind of bold for me. But my words are telling me I've got an, I've got some anger inside of my heart. Like, I have this tendency, when, when things get stressed, I have this tendency to just blow up. To just explode on the people around me. And I'm not proud of it. And I don't know how your story works out, but here's how it works out for me. Where the stress comes, and I get overwhelmed, and then I, I, I blow up. And I explode. And then I look at the carnage all around me. And I have this, this guilt that comes over me. I have this shame that comes over me. And I go to my family. Oh, man. Man, I, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know where this came from. Like, would you, like, would you forgive me for, for the carnage I just caused? Like, I promise I won't ever do this again. Until next week. When the stress hits again. And I explode again. And this is what, this is, this is what James wants us to see. Like, our tongues cannot be controlled. Like, this can be your story. Maybe your issue is an anger. Maybe it's that jealousy. Maybe it's that critical spirit. And you have these moments where you're like, all right, I'm never going to do this again, God. I'm not going to be critical. I'm not going to be jealous. I'm not going to be bitter. And then a week goes by. A week and a half goes by. And it happens again. And this is what James is trying to say. Like, we cannot control our tongues. We can't control our words. We can try all we want. But it seems time and time again, we just go back to the same thing. Listen, at this point of the message, like I can sit here and I can be so depressed. Like my words suck. Shows I've got these issues in my heart. I've got anger in my heart. Like like what hope is there for me? And listen, this this is where we say God shows up. This is where God shows up and says, you know what? You cannot control your, your words. 
Listen, your words can be redeemed. Your words can be redeemed. Because this is where God offers redemption for us through the gospel. And dealing with our words, this is where God offers redemption, specifically through our gospel identity. Okay? Here's, here's what I mean by our gospel identity. Okay? When, when I understand, when I grasp the gospel, when I understand that I am a recipient of God's love, like God has, has forgiven me of all my sin. Like when I understand what God has done for me, I understand that first and foremost, my identity is that relationship with Jesus. That I am an adopted son of God, adopted by the blood of Jesus. That is my first and foremost identity. Secondly, I, my identity is going to be I'm, a, I'm the husband of Samantha. I'm the father of our five kids. Fourth, I'm, I'm the pastor of Restoration Church. Fifth, I'm my friends' friends. But this is the order. First and foremost, my identity is tied to Jesus. Okay? All other things are secondary. They're not my primary identity. And when I'm, I, when I'm going to, to make sure that my identity is tied to Christ, I anchor myself on Christ. That I live daily knowing what, what Christ has said about me. That Christ has said, I am his. I am accepted. I am loved. That he is for me, not against me. That all of my sins were absorbed by Christ on the cross. Listen, when I live in that identity, and I understand what, 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 that, that, that gospel identity of, of what Jesus has done for me, listen, this is where my words become set free. This is where my words can be redeemed. And here's how it's redeemed. Because I no longer need my wife to be my savior. Because I have a savior in Jesus. So when my wife doesn't measure up, which chances are your wife will not measure up at some point. Ladies, your husband will not measure up at some point. Parents, your kids will not measure up at some point. Listen, when they don't measure up, I don't have to be angry. I don't have to tear them down because my, my, my identity is tied to Jesus. I've experienced a perfect love through Jesus Christ. And this is when my, my kids, when they fail, when, 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 they, when they misbehave, listen, I don't have to try to control them. I don't have to manipulate the situation to make myself look better, to make myself feel better. Like I'm not that bad of a parent. I don't have to have my identity tied up as an parent because my identity is tied to Christ. The Christ who loves me. The Christ who's forgiven me. Who's given me a name above all other names. This is where when, when, when I'm at work and someone better comes along. Someone who's a little bit better than me. Listen, I don't have to tear them down to try and build myself up. I can celebrate the fact that God has gifted that person. Because I'm secure in who I am. I am secure of who Jesus has called me to be. See, when your identity is tied to anything other than Jesus, if something else happens, if, if something happens, if something goes wrong, if someone better comes along, listen, we're forced to tear them down. We're forced to belittle them, to make ourselves feel better, to, to build up our own identity. And this is, this is something my wife and I, we've got five kids, and we've done lots of different options for schooling. And, and it's very interesting because there are so many parents whose identity is tied up into their schooling. And this is what we've seen. Like, like, like parents, parents who will say, well, you know, uh, you send your kids to public school? Like, that's crazy. Your kids, man, they're going to they're gonna turn out to be atheists. They're going to turn out to be cussing like a sailor. 
Because they're looking and saying, hey, my identity is tied into the fact that I do Christian schooling or I do homeschooling. So if you do public schooling, I've got to tear you down to build myself up. This is where, this is where uh, another parent will say, well, you, you homeschool your kids? Man, don't you know that we're to be, to, we're to be light and salt into the world? Like your kids, you're sheltering them. They're probably going to turn into a serial killer because you're, you're sheltering them from life around you. Then this is what happens. Because your identity gets tied up into what you're doing. And, that, and so you have to tear someone else down to build yourself up. Do you understand how this process works? And my first and foremost, we have to ensure that our identity is tied to Christ. Because when my identity is rooted in the gospel, I become free to rejoice, free to encourage, free to celebrate. And this is where my, 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 my words can be marked by encouragement. Because you can't threaten me. You can't threaten me because I am secure in Jesus. So maybe you are a better this. Maybe, maybe you do feel me. But listen, that doesn't threaten me because my identity is secure in Jesus. And all of a sudden, instead of my words bringing death to people, now my words can be redeemed. And I can be set free to give life to the people around me. Because remember, we talked about how powerful the tongue is. We talked about how that little bit can control this, this huge horse. We talked about how that, that, the, the, that rudder can, can change the course of that ship. And, and we need to understand, like when our words are redeemed, like we have the power to change the course of someone's life. We have the power when our words are redeemed to change the course of someone's life. I had a young man at Madison House years ago, a kid I was working with. And this, this, this young man came from a, a, rough, a rough family. In fact, there were gang ties throughout his family. And he had two, his two older brothers were both serving prison sentences for a decade. Okay? And this young man comes in, and, and, and we love this kid. And we could see the potential that this kid had. And we would speak into him, and we'd encourage him, Hey, man, we see God's hand in you. We see the potential of what God can do through you. And we loved him through some hard times. In fact, there was one moment where he caused some, some uh, property damage to our facility. And listen, we didn't reject him. We loved him in that moment. And, and I said, why would, you, why would you cause this property damage? And he said this. He said, because everybody around me tells me I'm going to fail. Everybody around me tells me I'm going to end up just like my brothers. I hear this from my parents. I hear this from the, the counselor. I hear this from the school. Everybody tells me I'm going to fail. And you tell me I'm going to succeed. You tell me I have potential. You tell me that God has a plan for me. And so I felt like if I were to cause this property damage, that maybe you would join the ranks of everybody else and tell me how bad I really am. No way, man. No way. You have this tremendous potential. And listen, this young man graduated high school, the first person in his entire family to graduate high school. This young man has worked in the same uh, warehouse for a couple of years now and has moved up into leadership at, at, at a warehouse. This young man recently had, uh, had a baby. Listen, our words have the power to change the course of a person's life. And I just begin to think, like, what if, what if Restoration Church became marked by encouragement? Like, what if, what if our words were marked 
by, by life-giving hope and encouragement. Like, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you, on your worship folder, I want you to sit, grab a, grab a pen. Back in the worship folder where it says some notes, I want you to make a list. I want you to make a list of people that you want to speak life into. People that you can think of, maybe it's a classmate, maybe it's a sibling, it's a coworker, it's a neighbor, it's somebody in your life group. Like make a list of people that you want to encourage and speak life into. And say things like, man, 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 I see this in you. Like I see God has gifted you in this way, man. I want to just encourage you. Man, I see God's work in you. Say to that person, man, man, I see how, how God has given you the gift of faith. Listen, your faith, it uplifts and encourages my faith. Thank you so much for, for, for living out your faith. Maybe you say, man, man, I think you've got this hospitable uh, heart. And you've opened up your heart. You've opened up your home. And man, that's such a blessing to me. Thank you for your hospitality. Maybe it's, man, I just see God at work in your life. And I see that God has great plans for you, man. I'm just, I'm just praying for you. Praying that God will continue to use you. Uh, do you understand the kind of influence that you can have in another person's life? Through encouragement. Through making a decision. Hey, I'm going to make sure my identity is tied up in the gospel. That I am I'm secure with who I am. Because if I can do that, then your words can be redeemed. To literally give life to the people around you. And I just think, man, man what kind of influence could we have as a church? If our identity was tied to the gospel, that we were secure in who we are in Christ. So people didn't threaten us. People didn't make us nervous. We could actually use our words, have them redeemed, and give life. And, and have the, the power to change a person's course by our words. Do you understand that influence? Like instead of thinking, man, this person is awesome. Man, what if we were quick to tell them, man, you're awesome? Like, what could God do through us? Listen, this is where our words, our words cannot be controlled. And maybe you've been in that situation. You say, man, I've tried. I've tried to say I'm never going to speak like this again. To find yourself going back to it. Listen, your words reveal your heart. Let's deal with that today. And let's, let's anchor our identity in Christ. So that our words can be redeemed. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? And pray with me. God, I just want to thank you for being with us here today. God, thank you for that encouragement. And the understanding of God. We, our words can be redeemed. Man, what a great opportunity. I'm just thinking for you today. Like, what do your words reveal about you? Like, if you're being honest. But don't, don't justify it. Don't just say, well, it's only once in a while that I do this. It's really not that big of a deal. Don't, don't justify it. Your words don't lie. What are your words revealing about your heart? How many of you would say, man, my words are revealing I've got the anger inside of my heart. How many of you would say, man, my words reveal, man, I've got a critical spirit. My words reveal I've got bitterness. My words reveal I've got anger. I've got, I've got, jealousy. Listen, when you're looking at what your words are revealing about you today, would you just come before God and just apologize and just repent? Would you ask for God's grace? 
Would you ask for God to help you to understand how he feels about you? To remind you of all that Christ gave so you can be redeemed, so you could be forgiven. Would you just ask God for forgiveness for your words, for forgiveness what's in your heart, and ask God to take that away from you, to begin to redeem your heart, to redeem your words? Listen, we've talked about this idea about having an act of faith. That faith does something. Maybe some of you today, you need to ask for help. Saying, God, I can't get this in control on my own. God, I can't. And maybe you need to come in and say, hey, can I get some help? Can I talk with somebody? Can I work through this? Listen, how many of you have been the recipient of some of these redeemed words? Of somebody who just spoke a life into you? Listen, what a joy is that? What an encouragement to have people who speak life to you. Listen, who are you to be that life-giving word person? Who are you to speak life into? Like we have an active faith. Like we've got to do something with this. And who is on that list? Who is the people around you that God's given you influence over? That God's given you the opportunity to speak life into? Say, man, I see God at work in you. I want to encourage you. Pursue that. Pursue that. God loves you. God has a, has a purpose for you. Listen, imagine what we would be like. Imagine the influence our church would have if we lived this way. If we allowed God to redeem our words so we could be a life-giving church. Imagine the influence that we could have in our city. God, I just want to pray for every one of us in here today. That God, you'd help us to, to look inside of our heart. That God, we repent for the areas that we're holding on to. That we'd give those areas to you. Say, God, I need that redemption. God, I need that redemption. God, I pray this week that you'd help us to establish our identity in the gospel. That we would understand first and foremost, I am a beloved child of God. Adopted by the blood of Christ. And nothing can threaten me. Nothing can take that away from me. Yeah, that you would use our words, that you would redeem them to give life to the people around us. God, just thank you for who you are. Thank you for meeting us here today. And God, I pray as we have the opportunity now to respond to your word through worship. God, I pray that those of us in here today who need to spend some time in prayer, that we would do that. We would cry out before you. And those of us who just need to stand up and just praise God and join in worship, that we would do that. We'd have this opportunity, God, not just to hear your word, but to, to respond to it now. Jesus, we love you and praise you, and I ask this in your name.